Ephesians chapter 2. It's been sweet to go through this series with you. Uh, to see what God says about his church. To be reminded once again about the main things. The center of which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, we've been looking at what it means to be a Christ-exalting church. What that practically looks like for us. How do we exalt Christ by making disciples? How do we do that? What does that look like? We've seen that it first must come forth from a committed, a committed heart to Christ-centeredness. He be the cornerstone, the center of it all both our lives and our ministry. We've seen that uh, we must uh, commit to being disciple-making disciples. Uh, we've seen that uh, we must commit to uh, leading those around us and developing leaders amongst us. We've seen that uh, God uses our families and He uses this family that both our biological and our spiritual families are, are, are great blessings from God. And our heart's cry should be that our biological families would be our spiritual families. That it would be one and the same. We've seen that we must be a family that prays and cares for one another spiritually and physically. And this comes from Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Let's read the text. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Last week we saw that Jesus Christ considers us His family. Those who do the will of God the Father, the Father of the only begotten Son, those who do His will, who is in heaven, they are the brother and sister and mother, the family of Jesus. And so if we're a family, we saw last week from, from this passage in verse 19 and 20 that you can find your home here. You can find your home here. You see, the sacrifice of Christ removed the wall between Jew and Gentile in the beginning of the, of the New Testament church. It removed that wall of separation between these ethnicities, the, the Jews and the non-Jews. There is no more grounds for this separation 
And in the gospel, all racism and, and um, preference or discrimination are abolished. And it is because, not because Jesus just simply removed the wall of separation between ethnicities, but because he removed the wall between all ethnicities and God. Because all mankind have access to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now one household, one family, the multicolored bride of Christ, the multi-ethnic family of God. And so no matter who you are or where you've come from, you can find your home here at this church, at Redeemer Bible Church. Yes, of course, in the church in general, the invisible church of God. But specifically here, you can find a home here because Christ has made a way. Not only that, but you can find stability here at this church because a healthy church is a church that teaches and preaches the truth of Scripture. You see, the, the teachings and the, and, and the words of the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. And so a church is only as strong and solid, stable, as they are committed to building only upon that foundation which has already been laid. And the cornerstone of that foundation is Jesus Christ himself. He is not only part of the foundation, he is the central and key part of the foundation. He is the cornerstone. The cornerstone, by way of reminder, is that huge rock in New Testament times that provided stability for all the rest of the structure. It was the reference point for all the other walls in the building, whether it was a home or a store. All other stones in those walls leaned against that one cornerstone, ultimately. They were all fitted together in order to cut, and they were, excuse me, they were cut to match the angle and the direction of that stone. So likewise, we, the church, are comprised and built upon the foundation of the Word of God, the teachings of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. And Jesus Christ himself, in the Word of God, is the reference point for every ministry, every event, and every decision of the church. But not just of the church, even of your own life, Christian. He must be the reference point of every part of your life. What you listen to, what you read, what you watch, must be governed and influenced with him as the cornerstone, as the main influence. You must not look to Instagram for influencers. Christ is your influencer. So you must be around people who will point you to him. You must make decisions that seek to exalt him. You must pick jobs that free you to worship him. 
You must live lives that display that he is set apart in your hearts and minds. And you must be holy because he is holy. Husbands, your relationship with your wife or your children, men, your relationship with those around you must be governed by the character of Jesus Christ. Wives, your relationship with your husbands and your children, women, your relationship with those around you must be influenced heavily, centrally, by the character and the love of Christ. If you build your life on the word of God with Christ as a cornerstone, you have a solid foundation. That's what we seek to do here, is to give you everything that you need to find stability. Not just for stability's sake, because we're building something, right? We're building the church of Christ. That's what Christ is doing in and through us. So it's not just stability so that you're not stressed out. It's stability so that you can exalt Christ. Third, we're picking up here in verse 21. Find growth here. So find... Find your home here. Find stability here. And third, find growth here. This is where you grow. Verse 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the church. This is what is going on in the life of the church. The main verb, the main action of this verse is growing. One of the main things that should happen to you and should happen to the church is growth. Growth. We're going to define that in a moment. But first, expect to grow here. And again, this growing is only in connection to the cornerstone. If the church finds its direction and its trajectory from Jesus Christ, and all of its activities find their direction from Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, then the main activity or the main thing that's happening in the life of the church, which is growth, will obviously also have Jesus Christ as its foundation, as its cornerstone, as its source. So where do we grow? In Christ. Look what it says. It says, In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing. So the main verb is growing. But look where this church is growing. It says, In whom the whole building is growing. So the whole building is growing. The church is growing, but it's only going to grow in Christ. This, the whom there, the whom in the beginning of verse 21 is 
Verse 20, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone. Christ Jesus himself. So in Christ, in Jesus, you grow. It's in Christ alone. Christ is the source of spiritual life and growth. Paul knew this. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 2.2, remember that book so long ago? He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's speaking to an established church here. And yet he says, what you need, though, though you've been a, a church for decades, what you need, though you've been a Christian for years, is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what you need, Christian. It's the ABCs of Christianity. It's the foundation but yet it permeates throughout the whole alphabet, through the whole building. We must never lose sight of him. Paul didn't. He was committed to know nothing among the saints except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The person and the work. Jesus Christ, the person. Him crucified, his work was the main theme of his preaching and his teaching. After all, 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power, that is, the Father's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him, that's Christ, through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ who called us by His own glory and excellence. What is this saying? Through the true knowledge of the person and work of Jesus Christ, you have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. That's what it's saying. You want to learn about what this life is about? You go to the Word of God and you find the living Word, Jesus Christ. He's the purpose. As we saw last hour in the equipping hour, He is the purpose. Everything is for Him. I'll say it again. Why was there COVID-19? For the praise of His glory. So that, I don't want to misquote it. It's Colossians. so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Colossians 1.18 Why COVID? It is so that Jesus Christ will come to have first place in everything. Why did you lose your job? So that Jesus Christ would come to have first place in everything. Why are your children wayward? Or why did you lose that loved one? It is so that Jesus Christ would come to have first place in everything. Why did you have to go through the trial that you're going through? 
so that Jesus Christ would have first place in everything. Why the cancer? Why are you sick? Why are you depressed? Why are you why are you in a dark cloud as it were in this season of life? Why do why do people suffer? Or on positively, why are you doing so well? Why has has it seemed like God has protected you through this time, this last year? It is so that Jesus Christ would have first place in all things. That is why. Everything is about him. All that you need in life, all the answers that you search for are in Christ Jesus. And so in Colossians 1.28, Paul says, we proclaim him. That's why. We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that, here's why we preach Christ, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So I know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified, so that you'll grow. That's what it means when he says, in whom, in Christ, the whole building is growing. So yes, we're a one-string guitar. But that one string makes a beautiful melody in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that is the only song worth listening to. You want to be mature? Do you want victory over your sin? You need to know more of Christ. And where you're going to know more of Christ is here, Christian. You feel like you've been stagnant? Like Like you're just spinning your wheels spiritually? You need to be here so that you will find growth as you learn more and more of Christ, and as you experience Christ through the brethren. That leads us into this next reality that it is not only where you go, but where you grow, but when you grow. Where you grow is in Him, in Christ. But when you grow, it says, verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing. When do you grow? When you're fitted together. It says being fitted together. That is, that is modifying the main verb, growing. It is telling us in, this, in what circumstance or at what time is there growth. When or how or by what means do we grow? Do you grow? 
It is only when you are being fitted together with other Christians. When you're fitted and connected to each other, church, that's when you grow. And so, yes, there was a time when we were not meeting. And you, I don't know if you notice, but think back to when you weren't being with the saints. How was your growth? Was it stunted? Was it more difficult? Absolutely. If you're human, it was. It was hard. For myself, it was difficult. Because I didn't have you to grow me. That's why this is a treasure. That's why this is to be cherished. This. It is because you grow in your connection with the church, with the people. You grow, Christian, you grow in community. You grow in community. And so, your growth will be stunted the longer you stay away from the saints in your local church. Or the more you stay away. Maybe Sunday is just fine enough for you. Well, then you won't grow the way that you ought to if you are not committed to a, to a midweek community group, to just being with other Christians in fellowship, having them over your house or your apartment or your room. It doesn't matter. You will be stunted in your spiritual growth if you neglect the saints. If I can say this to, to you, brothers and sisters who are streaming this service, I am thankful for a technology that we can, right? This is a grace of God so that you can hear the word of God and be, as it were, piped in and receive the benefits of the gathering of the church, uh, though you are not able to gather with the church for a time. And that's fine. If, if you are not able... If you're not able, I'm speaking to, to you, right? If you're not able to gather here because of your health or whatever it might be, that's fine for a time. But you need to understand your growth will be stunted. It will. That's why it's suffering. That's why that was what I mentioned before. The fact that you cannot be here is a trial and a suffering that the Lord is putting you through right now. And so see it that way, as something that you should not be comfortable with. Now to you who choose not to be here, out of a misplaced fear, or even laziness, you need to understand that you will not grow the way God intends you to, unless you gather with the saints. And so yes, there is caution, there's reason for caution. Yes, everybody has their different convictions and their different views and opinions about this uh, pandemic that we're going through. Everybody has. There, there's no shortage of opinions, right? But you need to see this for what it is. Are you willing to 
put yourself in that suffering voluntarily when maybe you don't need to because that's what you're doing. Or maybe you don't see it as suffering anymore. Be very careful with your heart. You are not thinking clearly. If you are not consciously suffering because you, can't, because you choose not to or you're not able to gather with the saints. You ought to be consciously suffering and, and pleading with God for a time to rejoin the saints. If that's not your heart week to week, then something is wrong. Either you've lost sight of, of the value of being here or you've lost sight of, of, the, of, the, of the treasure of the church of, of Christ. Or you've let your heart grow dull. See, there's, there is going to come a day when all excuses will be gone, when vaccines will be available for everybody, and there won't be a line, right? And there will be plenty of availability or herd immunity, or whatever hospital capacity, whatever the goalpost is, eventually those will all go away. Eventually, right? Are you pleading with God that that time will come, or are you just fine to just wait it out? And you don't beseech God to do a miracle. We need to search our hearts, don't we? Because when you grow is when you're fitted together. This is the context of spiritual growth. Look around you, in front of you, behind you, and to the left and to the right. That is the person that God is going to use to grow you. Did you know that? But what are we growing into? What is this growth? He says in verse 21, in whom, in Christ, the whole building, being fitted together, is growing. Into what? Into a holy temple in the Lord. Into a holy temple. That's the goal. Is this quality of holiness. We're going to get into temple in the next point. But this quality of holiness is the growth. Growth is sanctification. As I've mentioned before, sanctification and saint and holy and holiness all have the same basic Greek word. They all come from the same word. Which is why it's confusing when you talk about saint and sanctification and holy and holiness. They sound so different, but actually they, sound, they are, in, in the original, they sound very much alike. So, sanctification is your growth in holiness. It is the increase of holiness. That's what, our, that's what is happening in the life of the church an increase of being set apart from the world. This group, the Church of Christ, is set apart from the world. 
It is completely different from all other groups in society. We are not an alternative to AA. We are not an alternative to YMCA or some art club or a Facebook group page. We're not a healthy alternative to a gym membership or a sports club. We're not an alternative or another option for a mother's club or a homeschool group. Christian, this is not an alternative to your family. Or your old friends. This isn't another social outlet. What happens here in the life of the church of Christ is entirely different than what even family can give you. And friends and clubs. It's separate. It is other. And I don't what I don't mean here is that well I have this club over here on on Wednesdays and then on Sunday I have my church club. I don't mean separate like that. I mean in a in a class all itself kind of separate. What happens here in the life and and in in the ongoings of the church of Jesus Christ is on a whole other level to anything that society offers. You see, all these groups and clubs and associations are based on worldly similarities. But we are a group that is holy, other, and separate from all of those. We are the family of the one true God. That's what we are. Something that nobody else can claim. So, love your fellow Christian. Appreciate the treasure it is to be with your family, this family, and renew your commitment to the saints of Redeemer Bible Church. Notice it's not renew your commitment to Redeemer Bible Church like an organization. No, you, what, you are, what you need to do is renew your commitment to the people. That's what the church is. It's the people. It's not the organization. It's not the building. We don't go to church. We don't do things at the church. It's a building. I was raised up on that language. So I've texted or called a few of you brothers or sisters and said, meet me at the building. You might be thinking, what? What building? The building. Right? This building. We'll meet at the building. This is where we meet. But we are the church. So renew your commitment to the church, the people. Find growth here. 
And lastly, find God's presence here. This is what it means by the temple. Verse 21 into 22. The whole building is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Notice the activity of the triune God here in this passage. Verse 19, this is God the Father's household, His family. Jesus Christ, the Son, is the cornerstone of that household, of this edifice of the church. Verse 21, we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in Christ, in our connection to Him. 22, we're being built together into a dwelling of God the Father. And this is all in the Holy Spirit, the triune God at work in the local church is something for a whole nother time. But we see it everywhere if you're looking for it. Nonetheless, you can find God's presence here. Find God's presence here. God's goal has always been to dwell with his people throughout history. Think about it. In the garden, God walked with Adam and Eve, being in their midst. And the primary consequence of Adam and Eve's sin was that they could no longer be in his midst and they were cast out of the garden. There was separation. That was the main uh, consequence of their sin, was separation from the midst of God, from the presence of God. God is always meant to dwell with his people. In the Old Testament, God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, as we will soon see in, as we go through Exodus together. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt so that they will be with him and worship him. And there in the tabernacle that he, he gave them the blueprints for, God dwelt among the Israelites in the Old Testament. Let me read to you a, a couple verses here. Exodus 25, 8. This is a purpose statement for the construction. This is like what would be on the plaque in the front of that building. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. That's why the tabernacle was there. Exodus 29, 42. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there, speaking to Moses. I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. 
So not only does he say, construct this tent of meeting, Moses, and I'm going to meet with you there, and I'll meet with the elders there, and I'll dwell amongst my people there, but he gives this, this whole, he zooms back in verse 46. I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Why, Why Exodus? I brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I might dwell with them. Yet in the Old Testament, this presence of God that was enjoyed by the Israelites was only for the Israelite. And the Gentile, the non-Israelite, did not enjoy this presence of God unless they became an Israelite by circumcision. But even then, they were still considered to be an alien or a sojourner or someone who dwells alongside Israel, but not really of Israel. They were a people in the midst of Israel, but they weren't truly Israelites. There was something separate about them. That was the difference between Israel and Gentile, between Jew and Gentile. This access to the presence of God. And Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 says, it explains this. You, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the circumcision, which is performed by the flesh of human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. These, these descriptive words, separate, excluded, strangers, all speak of being outside, limited access to God. That, is, that was the experience of the Gentile throughout the ages. Throughout the years and years and years of the Old Testament, there was this separation between Gentile and God. And the main idea was, you don't have access to Him. You can't enjoy His presence. But now, in Christ... Not only do we have access to the temple of God, to the presence of God, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we are the temple of God. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, We are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So Paul pulls from the Old Testament this quote that God has always meant to to dwell with his people, to walk amongst his people, that he would be their God and they would be his people and they would enjoy his presence forever. Paul transfers this or or grafts us in into this promise. We we Gentile, we non-Jews, 
are allowed to experience the presence of God because of Jesus Christ. And this presence, this presence of God is experienced in the Spirit. Again, Ephesians 2.22, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. In the Spirit. See, what the Spirit does is He takes the spiritual benefits of Jesus and He makes them your own. He communicates them to you. He, he makes them something that you experience. So the presence of God is communicated. That's a more theological term. Or, or the presence of God is experienced in the Spirit. He takes these spiritual truths and applies them to you personally as He dwells in you. He gives life. Isn't that what the Spirit does? He's the life giver. He animates things. He gives life to the truths and the promises of Scripture. The truth and the promise of, I will be your God and you will be my people. The truth and promise of, I will dwell among you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. I and my Father will make our abode in you. You are the temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit, as it were, gives that life. He he makes it more than just words. He makes it reality. And so as the Holy Spirit lives in us, God lives in us. Again, notice in Ephesians 2, there's this corporate element to the dwelling of God. He's talking to a church, a group of believers. And he says, in Christ, you, church, are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. He's speaking to them, not simply individually, but but primarily corporately. He is speaking to them as a church, as a group. He is saying, Church, you are being built together into a dwelling of God. Redeemer Bible Church, what God is doing is he is building you into a dwelling place for his presence. That's what he's doing here as he grows us in holiness. Of course, God dwells in each of us individually, but God has chosen to dwell in our midst in a special way when we gather together physically. 1 John 4.13 tells us, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. Yes, we each and individually have His Spirit. But here in Ephesians 2, there is a corporate nature to this reality. And again, this, this is only possible because of those two little words at the beginning of verse 22. In 
whom? In Him. In Christ. So the only way that God can dwell with sinners like us is that we are in Christ. That's the only way. Otherwise, you are still outside. Friend, if if you are wondering why God seems to be so out of reach or unrelatable or not real to you, it is because you have not come to him through Christ. You have not placed your entire faith in what he has done for you on the cross. That he suffered your penalty of eternal death there on the cross. He took your sin upon himself. So that God can treat him like a sinner. And then he offers you to put his righteousness upon you so that God can treat you like his son. That's the gospel. But you have to believe that. You can't just get access to God any old way. You must come through the son. Otherwise, you're still an enemy of God. Otherwise, you are, he is still unapproachable. But he gives you a way through your full trust, belief, faith in Jesus Christ alone. Come to him. And you can experience this presence of God because it is only found in him. It's not found in a church, a local gathering. It's found in him. The only way that God can dwell with us is through the sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ. It is by Him atoning for our sins, satisfying the wrath of God in our place, and offering free forgiveness for all who would believe in Him. That is how you have access to God. No other way. Not all roads lead to God. Just one. That road is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God dwells only in those who receive His Son. Look at what it says in verse 17 and 18 of Ephesians 2. It says, He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both, Jew and Gentile, have our access in one spirit to the Father. Again, the Trinity involved in your salvation, Christian. Remember the difference between the Gentile and the Israelite. Those on the outside and those on the inside. Those without access and those with access. However, both those outside and those inside were both in need of peace with God. Not like the, the, the Israelites or the Jews have some backdoor salvation. Both Jew and Gentile are enemies of God. It says, we both have access through him. 
Notice in verse 17, peace was needed to be preached both to those who were far away and peace was needed to be preached to those who are near. What does that mean for today? Well, if we can translate that principle to us today, whether you grew up in church or you're just off the street, both need peace with God. And that peace is offered in the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son, in Him alone. This access to dwelling with God is given to us by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus reconciled us all to God through the cross, Ephesians 2.16. He changed our relationship with God from enmity. Look what it says. I, I, we got to look at it. Verse 16. Establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. What enmity? The enmity between ethnicities? No. That's not what Christ accomplished. That's not the primary accomplishment of Christ on the cross. The enmity between ethnicities. Rather... Peace between ethnicities is found as any and all ethnicity is given peace with God. So if a black or a white or a brown or whatever you want to call it, person finds peace with God through Jesus Christ, they have peace with others, with other Christians who also have peace with God in Christ. Jesus reconciled us all to God through the cross. He changed our relationship with God from enmity, from hostility, or from hatred, is a good translation. You went from hatred to peace with God. Do you realize what you have? Do you, friend, sinner, do you realize what's offered to you and what you choose to reject? Don't reject him any longer. He is offering you peace. Take it. Just take it. By faith, receive the peace of God. And, you're, and you will have peace flooded through your soul. I promise you. I promise you. You'll have peace throughout your whole entire being. You, you, it's not like you won't have worries, right? Well, we got worries, don't we, Christian? We got issues. We got problems. But you'll have peace in the midst of it. Because you have peace with God. What else do I need to worry about? My greatest enemy has been made my friend. The father of creation is the father of the church. 
and it's only possible through Christ. How is this done? Romans 5.10 We were reconciled, made at peace with God through the death of His Son. That's how. It cost a life. And not just any life. The life of the Son of God. The death of His Son. The only begotten. The prized one that we learned about last hour. That precious one died so that you can have peace with God the Father. And when he died on the cross, he satisfied the wrath of God toward us by receiving the wrath in our place. When Christ died on the cross, that enmity, that hostility, that hatred between us and God died with him. But when Christ rose from the dead, we also rose with him to a new life. To new reality. To life with God. A life that is defined by dwelling with the Almighty. You're a temple of God. And so are we. So church, here at Redeemer Bible Church, you can find a home here. You can find stability for your soul here. You can find spiritual growth here. Most importantly, most prized above all, you can find the presence of the living God here. So, love your fellow Christian. Appreciate the treasure of your local church. Renew your commitment to the saints of this church. And if you aren't one already, I would encourage you to at least pray about becoming a member of this church. These are the things that you can find here. These are the things that we treasure at Redeemer Bible Church, and I trust that you will find these things. And for those of you that are members, this is what you have. Don't neglect it. I love the church, don't you? It's a treasure, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, we are family. What a treasure to, to, to realize and to have. There are some of us, Lord, that don't have the blessing of family. Maybe we don't have a father or a mother or, or brothers or sisters or extended family. Maybe we don't have that and, and we don't even know what that's like. We don't even know what we're missing out on. Father, I pray that you would use this church to show them what true family is. That we will be family to each other. And Father, I pray that we would have Christ as our cornerstone Christ as a source of it all. I pray, Lord, that as people walk into our doors, they would come face to face with the Son of the living God in us. That they would experience a taste of what it, what it, what it was like to, to walk this earth with Jesus like the disciples did as they walked this earth with us.
as we mirror Christ to them. Father, I pray that you would be gracious to us as a church. Keep us, Lord. Don't let us fade off into history. Fade off into the background. Use us, Lord, for your great purposes. Use this family to change the world. To change lives. And Lord, we pray that Christ would be exalted above all in our midst. Lord, I especially want to pray for those that are not with us physically, that you would again minister to them. Oh Lord, if they're thinking right, this, this sermon weighs heavy and in a sense makes their longing to gather even more great, makes their inability to gather even more grievous, even more of a trial, makes that cloud a little darker. But Lord, I pray that you would minister to them in that, under that cloud of having to be distant from us. Would you in a special way, Lord, minister to them? We love them. We're still family. We love them. We care for them. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to to call them and encourage them. Let them know that we're praying for them. Ask how we can minister to them in any way great or small. May we be a family. And Lord, may we sense your presence week after week. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with me as we sing.